Hello, and welcome to episode 248 of The Modern Manager. I'm your host, Mamie Canfer-Stewart. A warm welcome to Jennifer Y., Relly N., and Patrick W. to The Modern Manager community. I am so excited to let you know that The Modern Manager mobile app is now available in the Apple App Store. It is available to everyone, but members, you get additional features like the ability to access transcripts, sketch notes, and guest bonuses. And if you're a participant in the Skills Accelerator, you can access all of the lessons and workbooks right from your iPad or iPhone. To download the app, just search The Modern Manager in the Apple App Store. To get those additional features and learn more about membership options, go to themodernmanager.com join. Today's guest is Dre Baldwin. Dre is CEO and founder of Work On Your Game, Inc. He has given four TEDx talks and has authored 33 books. Dre had a nine-year professional basketball career playing in eight countries. His framework is the roadmap in reverse for professional mindset, strategy, systems, and execution. Dre and I talk about one of the chapters from his book, Work On Your Game, where he lays out mental mistakes that good people make that can ultimately inhibit you and your team from accomplishing your goals. Now here's the conversation. You're listening to The Modern Manager, a podcast dedicated to helping you be a rock star boss with a thriving team. Whether you're looking to upgrade your meetings, cultivate your team, or grow as a leader, this podcast is for you. Now here's your host, Mamie Canfer-Stewart. Thank you so much for joining me today, Dre. I'm super excited to talk about some of these mental errors that good people make. I was reading your book and just loved this chapter so much that I thought we should use it as the the topic of our conversation because it's it's so hard when we're trying every day to make the right decisions and do all the right things. And yet somehow sometimes our brain just gets gets in the way. So thank you for coming on. Well, I'm excited to be here. I'm looking forward to this conversation. All right. Why don't you start before we actually get into some of these mental errors? Let's just start with the the framing of your book and the concept mm-hmm. that you're talking about. So could you just give us like the quick overview of what what are we talking about when we say mental errors and what is this kind of brain space thing all about? Sure. So the entire book, Work On Your Game, is just about me taking everything that my brand and business and I am about and putting into one book. And I have a bunch of books, but that, that book basically encompasses everything that I talk about and everything that I teach and help people with. So that chapter on the bad mental errors that good people make is just about the mistakes that people make, not even knowing that they're making a mistake that they're unintentional about. And it's often because those things have kind of been planted in our minds, maybe from in the past, maybe from our upbringing, maybe we just picked it up randomly from the environment. And we're not even aware that we're doing these things, but they're the exact things that are holding us back and slowing us down. And one thing that I often emphasize to people is that it's not for you to move forward in life and get to your next level is often not that you need to make a bunch of additions. It's that you need to just subtract some things that are in the way. You get rid of those things, keep everything else exactly the same, and things can start working a lot better for you and you can create that momentum. So what that chapter is about is just erasing some of the the gunk, so to speak, that is slowing us down from moving forward. I love that because most people are like, we're all so busy that the idea of trying to like add a whole bunch of new things in is is overwhelming. And mm-hmm. to think about just getting rid of the bad habits and the and like there's making these like small shifts, it feels so much more manageable. And some of the things that you talk about and then we're going to talk about today, I like resonated so strongly with me that I was like, yes, yes. If I can just do these like 
one or two small things, I can imagine how powerful it could be. So let's let's jump into this mistake number one, because I am definitely guilty of, of this one, which is replaying bad movies. So can you tell us about this? Yeah. So think about a time that you went to the movies or you nowadays, I guess, maybe you pull it up on HBO Max or Netflix and you're watching a movie or a documentary that just sucks by just by your subjective estimation that this video or this movie is just not any good. Some people will stay and watch the entire thing because they just don't want to get up or leave or they want to give it a chance. And some people will leave in the middle of it. But either way, by the time you're done consuming it, you know that you didn't like it and you probably would not pay money or invest time into watching it again. Almost everyone would agree with that. And you'll probably tell some of your friends who ask you, hey, did you see movie XYZ? You say, yeah, I saw it and it sucked. Or yeah, I watched the whole thing and it was not good. It didn't get better. So we would never invest in our time or our money into watching a movie again when we know that we hated it. But this is exactly what we do in our minds when we replay in our minds some situation that happened in our past and we get ourselves all worked up or anxious or angry or sad or fearful or nervous all over again about something in the past that we already know that we didn't like. And the reason why this is a bad mental error is because doing this robs you of, first of all, the energy of the present moment. It robs you of whatever energy you had before you got into replaying this bad movie. And there you go, wasting your time, at least, at least you're wasting your time. That Not to mention the opportunity cost of the money, energy, attention, and focus that you're now giving to this thing that you know you don't want and that you know you don't like. And the challenge made me is a lot of people, they get so much into the habit of doing this that they lose control of that habit. And the habit takes over and they habitually go and replay bad movies that are not helping them be productive or helping them be access the best version of themselves right there in the moment. That's why this is a bad mental error. Yeah, this is it's it's so problematic, as you're saying, Dre, in the moment when you're like being distracted by your own thoughts. And so you're not actually able to do something productive with your energy or your time or your brain space. And also, I feel like we're we're just reinforcing those bad things that happened, whether it's something we said that we shouldn't have said or a way that we reacted to someone or, you know, didn't make the right choice, whatever it was. Like, I feel like when there was some kind of study about watching game tape, maybe you know what I'm talking to, where like there was a coach that was showing like, here's all the mistakes you guys made. Don't make these mistakes. And other coaches show, here are all the good things you did, do more of the good things. And it was the showing the good things that actually got people to do more of the good things and make fewer mistakes. Because when we replay the mistakes, we just make them again. They like get cemented in our brains. Do you know what I'm talking about? I've never heard of that example, but I get it. I definitely get the the idea and the concept. And yeah, it can work like that. And maybe you just focus on the good stuff, you get more of the good stuff. And it also depends on the wiring of the people that you're talking to, whether pointing out the bad stuff is actually going to lead them to extinguishing those bad things and fixing them? Or is it going to lead them to doing more of it? I think that depends on the style of the the person in charge who's doing it. And also they got to be able to read the room. Like, who are you talking to? And how do these people normally respond to certain types of feedback? So I think there's value in both ways. That makes perfect sense. And and regardless, it's the like replaying that becomes the waste that like, yes, look Mm -hmm. at it once, you know, learn from it, right? We're not saying totally ignore it, but look at it, learn from it and then move on. So we can keep going with with more of the, what we want and not getting stuck in the past, for sure. Agreed. All right, let's go to mistake number two, because I think this, of all of them, is the one that I do the most. <laughs> and, and I love this one. This is being too smart for the basics. So walk us through this one. 
Sure. So the fundamentals, the building blocks are the the basis points of anything that we do, whether we're talking business, we're talking management, relationships, communication, sports, and in everything in between. And usually when we get off track in anything that we're doing is usually because we have with our big brains, we have gotten so far away from the basics and the fundamentals that we start to slip on those basics and fundamentals. And if we just get back to them, then usually we can get ourselves back on track, back to where we need to be. And the challenge for us, and usually this challenge becomes more prevalent, the smarter a person is, or at least the smarter that they think they are, is that their brains have them thinking, okay, well, I don't need to focus on the basics. I'm already way past that. I'm way better than that. So we get to more and more complex and more complicated things. And then we get so far away from the basics and we start to slip. We never come to the realization that, hey, you know what? Maybe it's just that I'm not as sharp on the, the again, the building blocks. That's the reason why I'm off track right now. And usually we need someone to help bring us back to that. That's where a good manager or a good boss or a good coach or a good mentor comes in and reminds us, hey, you're off track on the basic stuff. We get back to the basics. Then we can combine that with all the advanced things that you already have in place. And that's when everything's going to start working all over again. So focusing on those basics is a, a big deal that we can't let ourselves get too far away from lest it starts costing us despite the fact that we have all these advanced abilities. Yeah, I think this one resonated so much for me because as a manager, when you're working with your team and you know, you you kind of assume that there's that the basics are already covered. And so you want to like move faster and kind of think bigger. And it can feel like awkward sometimes to like bring your team together to like go back to the fundamentals of like. Do we mm-hmm. have the right process in place? And are we making too many assumptions? And like, maybe we need to simplify this down again. And it, it can feel like almost a negative to go back to the basics. But I think your point is it, it's so important that we do that because sometimes when we think we think we're smarter than we are, we or it feels like, oh, I'm I'm so much better than than that. I don't, I don't need to go back to those. I got that already, that we're doing ourselves and our team members a disservice and that we need to mm-hmm. kind of normalize. So, like, no, just reground yourself, get back to the basics and then build back up. That's right. And that's why the the fundamentals are things that get, we rerun through the fundamentals. We want to rerun through those on a consistent basis so that we don't get so far away from them that it feels like we're going backwards to go back to them. So that's why continually reminding ourselves and reinforcing those things matter so much. That should be part of our system. I love that. I'm, I'm imagining that as an athlete, that was probably very much a part of your training. And I'm wondering if you have a story of your own experience or one one of the folks that you've worked with about this kind of what what happens when you when you go back to the basics. Well, I can tell you a, a, a couple of experiences. One, not one, not from mine, but John Wooden, famous UCLA basketball coach, who won. I think it was ten championships. Might have been eleven. I always get it mixed up. But when players would come play for him. You know, one of the first things that he would teach them how to do, maybe, was how to put their socks on so that they didn't get blisters. So they didn't get blisters when they played basketball. He would teach them the right way to put on their socks and the proper way to tie up their sneakers so they didn't get blisters on their feet. And this guy won more championships than any coach ever in college basketball. And you go to a more modern guy, somebody like Phil Jackson, who coached Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant during the Bulls and Lakers heydays in recent years. He would always go over the fundamentals of players like how to throw a proper bounce pass or how to put your how to have the proper footwork to throw a post entry pass was just basically just passing the ball to each other they were practicing this stuff why because he wanted to make sure the players understood the basics and the fundamentals so those are those are big deals and what happens with a lot of people again in the modern world because we have access to so much information 
a lot of times managers, people in charge, we assume that people know things. So let me give you an example. I was working at Pizza Hut when I was 15 years old. This is my first job. And one day it was just me and the manager. His name was Terrell. We were the only two people in the store. It was like a, a Tuesday afternoon. So it's not that many people coming through there, but we were working. And we had salad bar coming up at 12 o'clock, like the, the buffet hour. So I asked Terrell, well, what can I do to help? He said, well, you can make the salad for the salad bar. I said, all right, cool. I said, what goes in the salad? So this is big salad bowl. I said, what goes in it? He was like, man, you don't know how to make a salad. And he just started running off what goes in a salad because he's preparing the pizzas. So he's like, man, you need to put some put some tomatoes, put some onions, put some cucumbers, some cut up carrots, put some uh, it was uh, some croutons and then make sure you put the salad dressing out on the side. So I remembered everything Terrell said. I went into the walk in closet and I grabbed everything that he said. I put it all in a bowl and I came back to Terrell and I showed him the bowl and I said, how does this look? Do I, do I have everything right? And Terrell looked at the bowl. And then he looked at me and then he started laughing and I'm just standing there holding the bowl and I don't know what he's laughing at. And then he kept looking at me. He kept laughing more <laughs> and he, he kept laughing to the point maybe that he was crying. He had tears coming out of his eyes. He was laughing so hard and I'm still waiting for him to tell me what's so funny because he hadn't said anything yet. He said, man, where's the lettuce? <laughs> and I said, Terrell, you didn't say anything about lettuce. You said onions, tomatoes, pickles, cucumbers. I said I did exactly what he said. The whole point is. He assumed that I knew lettuce went in the salad bowl. And I think on a unconscious level, I didn't understand that. It's not like I had never eaten a salad before. But when he was giving me the instructions and I had never made a salad, he was assuming that I knew something that I didn't know. So as people in charge, we should never assume that people know things. We got to tell them every detail, lest uh, they think one thing and we're thinking another thing. So I love that story. That is amazing. And and also, yes, right? Like that is about the basics and making sure that we're all on the same page before we get going. So, oh my gosh, that, that story is going to st stick with me for a long time. Okay, I want to move us to, to mistake number five. I'm jumping ahead here, which is focusing too much on doing and not enough on being. Can you tell us about this one? Yeah, it's one of my favorites. And this is one that I come back to all the time whenever I'm working with anyone, because mindset's the foundation of everything that I do and anybody that I'm working with on any on any level. And most people maybe understand the concept, especially if they're a person who does something like listen to a podcast, they're into personal and professional development or they read books, is they understand the concept of setting goals, knowing what you want and you know, writing it down and stating it in the present and stating it in a affirmative, like owning it. These are the things that I want to achieve. I want to have this much money, this kind of house, this position in my business. I want to take my company to this level, et cetera. Almost everybody gets that, people who listen to this show. And most of those people also understand that in order to have something, you have to do something. You can't get something for nothing in life. So most people understand the concept of I have to actually do some work and do some activity in order to achieve my goals. The problem here, Mamie, is not that either one of those is wrong. The problem is most people spend their entire lives in a cycle of these two things. They look at what they want or decide what they want. Then they go work hard to achieve it. And if they don't yet have it, they either figure, A, I need to work harder or B, I need to do a different type of work. And they just swap between A and B back and forth, maybe a combination of both. And then they say, all right, did I get my goal yet? No. Okay. Let me work harder. Did I get my goal yet? No. Let me do something different. Or let me work harder and do something different. And they do this their entire lives in this big cycle that just keeps going around and around the circle. And the challenge is, here's the, the reason why this is an issue, is that most people, despite doing this cycle, do not achieve what they want in life, despite the fact that they know what they want and they're working really hard at it or at least they think they're working hard at it and they're, they keep, keep doing different types of work. 
The reason why this doesn't work is because many people never ask themselves a third question. So question one is what do I want? Question two is what I had to do. Question three is who do I need to be? What type of person do I need to be while I'm doing these things so I can achieve this goal? And the being part is about your mindset, is about your energy, is about your posture, is about your spirit and the way that you show up. It's not about your actions. It's about your energy. And when you change your energy, and I'm sure many people have had this experience, you could be working really hard on doing something, not getting the outcome that you want, but then you change your energy for whatever reason. Maybe you get happy because you got some good news about something else. Maybe you feel more positive because somebody gave you a positive message about the fact that it's going to work out. Or maybe you got angry because you got tired of it not working and anger increases your focus. You get more mentally sharp. Whatever reason your energy changed in some way, you go back and do the exact same thing you were doing before. And all of a sudden you get a different result. I'm sure everyone listening here has had that experience in life. What happened is you changed who you were being. You could do the same stuff and the results start to change. So that's why the being matters so much. And the challenge is maybe many people never, ever ask themselves, who do I need to be as a person? And that's why they could work really hard yet not get their desired outcome. This one really resonated for me when I was reading from some, some of the things you were talking about earlier in your book about confidence as an example, right? You can do the exact same actions. And if you don't have confidence in yourself, then the way that you're going through those motions, people feel your lack of confidence and they are not going to respond to you in, in a positive way necessarily. But when you go through those same actions and you are confident, you could say the same words, you could have the same meetings, but people respond differently because they feel your confidence and they feel your energy. And that just really connected that it is. It's about who do you need to be in that moment and who do you need to be overall to show up in the way that you need to show up so that the actions you take, the words you say, have the weight behind them to move things forward. That's right. And the way we show up and the energy we have, we all have heard that most communication is nonverbal, right? So it's not the words that we say, it's how we say things. It's not what people say necessarily about you, it's the energy that they feel coming off of you. That is what determines whether they say yes or no. It's not your script. It's not your verbiage. It's how you say those things. So that matters a ton. Yeah. And I feel like it's so important inside the organization too, right? Of course, with sales or with clients. But if you're working collaboratively with other colleagues, the energy you bring is going to impact them. If you're working across teams into a different department, or you're trying to influence senior leadership to say yes to something, the energy that you bring is for sure going to be part of their experience of you and their decision-making and their That's collaborative right. experience. Yeah? Yes, 100%. Amazing. Okay. I want to get to one more, which is placing niceness over importance. And this is mistake number nine, which I think, again, really resonates for a lot of managers. So tell us about placing niceness over importance. Yeah, that's a good point. And we've all heard the saying that it's nice to be important, but it's more important to be nice. I don't agree with that statement simply because it is creating this diametric opposition between being nice and being important. They are not diametrically opposed. A nice person is not necessarily unimportant and an important person not necessarily mean or nasty. You can be both. And as a matter of fact, you want to be both because when you're important, the definition of important is having a profound impact on success. So when you have a profound impact on success, you can be as nice as you want to be. And in my experience, the nicest people I met are usually the most important people. And the most important people I meet are usually really nice individuals. The nasty people are the people who don't have anything going on and they're not very impactful on success. So these things are not opposed to each other. And when people 
think when people go in and buy into this statement, they start to think, okay, well, I want to be a nice person. I want to be a good person. I want people to like me. So that means I don't want to become too important. And most people have never don't even know what the definition of the word important means. They look at it as, well, you're some big name person or you're above other people. That's not actually what it means. It means a profound impact on success, which I think everybody wants to have. Everybody wants to be important when we look at it that way. And when you are important, again, you could do nice things for yourself, for your community, for you know, underprivileged people, whoever you want to help. You can do as much nice stuff as you want when you are profoundly impactful on anyone's success. Right? Everybody wants to be that. So these things are not opposed. And that cliche, even though I think most cliches are based in truth, this one is not. Yeah. Again, I think this one is so spot on, Dre. Like the way that I, t- I mean, I literally talked to a client of mine today who said, I realized that my management style was to be nice and that that was not working. And so that's why I'm mm-hmm. that's why I'm getting coaching. And I was like, yes, being nice is not a management style. And being important is exactly what we want to be doing as managers with our team members and to our companies, right? We want to be having that impact. And if we're not able to do that because we are caught up in making sure that everybody likes us and that our team members are happy and never feel uncomfortable, then we're not able to have the impact that we want, that we we need to play into this space of saying, yeah, I, I can be nice in many ways, but part of being nice is also giving you the feedback that you need to hear and, that's right. and setting an environment that's going to hold you accountable to the things that you've committed to, right? Like that's how we get to the impact. That's how we get to be important team members and important role models and important to our, our business. That's right. And when we are important in anything, again, we're impacting success. And almost everybody wakes up every day trying to be successful in some way, even if they haven't defined it yet. So importance is a very valuable thing to be. So let's shift gears a little bit because we we didn't hit on all of the mental mistakes, but we talk, talked about quite a few of them. So I want to shift and and talk about, you know, it's one thing for us to be trying to hold some of these and say, okay, I as a manager need to get into the right mindsets. I can shift some things around for myself. But what if it's that you're noticing someone else on your team is is really struggling and they're the one that you're trying to influence and, and shift around some of their mindsets? Any suggestions for how we talk about any of these ideas with your team members? Absolutely. Well, the first thing is getting as direct as possible in communication. And I tell people who are in positions of leadership or aspire to be in positions of leadership that you have to be a very, very strong communicator, whether that's your team is small enough where you can have direct communication with everyone, or if your team becomes big enough that you are not directly communicating with everyone, you need to have, there needs to be a line of communication between you and that person, whether it goes through one, two, or three other people that they are actually getting the message that they need to get. And if necessary, you cut through that line and get straight to a person. But that that communication is a, a huge deal. Anytime you want someone to alter their performance or alter their mindset in any way, you're the person in charge. You're the example that they should be following. Well, now, whether they are following you and maybe you don't like what you're seeing or they're not following you, and that's the reason why you need to get in touch with them, you absolutely need to make sure there's a line of communication so you can get through to them, find out where they are, ask questions, see where they are mentally. Maybe there is something going on. Maybe they just don't understand what you want them to understand and it hasn't been communicated to them clearly enough. So you just need to clarify it. But the first step is making sure there's a direct line and then just asking questions to find out what's actually going on because it might be different than what you have observed or what you think is going on. 
Mm, it's so important to remember that that what we see is only a part of the picture. I'm wondering right. if you have any stories and that where that's been exactly the case, where you're kind of you come in with one idea and you realize, oh, something else is going on here, and so the the mental game that needs to shift is, is something different than what you anticipated. Well, we all as humans, we all have the ability to craft stories in our minds, right? So if I have a staff member, I've had staff members working for me and for whatever reason, things are not going the way that I want them to go. So let's say my my media guy who handles my website or he's posting things to my uh, he's posting things into my autoresponders and things like that and and the posts are just not going up the right way or things are being missed or something in the process is not being done, I may be thinking, well, this guy is being a little bit lazy or he's cutting corners or he's not following the process the way it's supposed to be followed. I could be thinking that in my mind, but as I just talked about, I am a person who will go in asking questions like, hey, I I will notice something, I will point out an observation, but then I'll follow that observation with a question rather than an accusation. And that's very important whenever we're trying, if you're trying to get a cooperation with a person and you're trying to get on the same page as a person, whether it's someone that you're, let's say, debating with, or it's someone who is working for you or anywhere in between, you can offer an observation, but make sure it's not an accusation. Accusation is you have decided that something is something and you know the reason. That's a very slippery slope to jump on if you're trying to get cooperation with a person. Now, if you're trying to alienate somebody, then go ahead, go ahead and do it that way. But if you're trying to get cooperation, you want to point out, hey, I noticed X did you notice the same thing? And do you have any idea why this is happening? And then when you do it that way, now the person does not feel accused and they can respond back and say, oh, you know what? I did notice that too, but I didn't even realize that I was no off the process. I didn't realize that I wasn't following the right way or, hey, I had passed that job to one of my subordinates and they were messing it up. I didn't even realize that they weren't doing it. I wasn't no quality checking the process. My bad, Dre, I'll check on that and make sure it doesn't happen again. But when you open a conversation in that way where a person doesn't feel attacked, then they have the space to actually own their stuff. What I've noticed and all of us can notice if you just think about this in your own lives, that when you come to someone with an accusation, even if you're right, Often it leads to a not good conversation because you put that person, you back them up against the wall and you could back the most timid person in the world up against the wall. Often they will start swinging. They'll start attacking. They'll defend themselves because you put them in a position where you didn't have a choice. But if you leave the door open for them to condemn themselves or kind of take accountability for themselves and their own actions, even though you may already know the deal, then it leads to a much better conversation. You leave the door open and you're not you no know, uh, walking all over that person to where they feel like they have lost confidence or they lose face. And now you can't go back to them again sometime in the future. So the way you approach the conversation matters a lot. I actually, I, I completely agree. And I had such a similar experience recently where there was a scheduling mix up and I reached out to the team member who I thought was supposed to be managing the scheduling and was like, hey, are, is this happening? Like, do you know what, what happened? Because I don't see it on the calendar. And she was like, oh my goodness, I totally forgot. And then in the meeting with like seven other people, she started us off by saying, I want to apologize to everyone for dropping the ball on this. And I know that if I had gone to her and said, how could you have forgotten this? Like, this is clearly part of our standard process. Like now it's like really stressful that we're scrambling. She would have felt terrible. And instead by just saying like, do you know what's going on? Like this seems something maybe got dropped. Her response was like taking true ownership and in front of the whole group too, not just to me as her boss, but really to like all the team members involved. And I was like really impressed and, and proud of her. And I feel like that's exactly what you're talking about, about 
giving people the space to take ownership over their own mistakes as opposed to being accusatory. Exactly. Leaving the door open and f- open for them to take that self-accountability because even if I'm sure you probably had staff in the past who are the type of person had you come at them the other way, they would have accepted it and said, you know what, I am I am wrong and you are right. But now you have that the way that you utilize that relationship is you made a big withdrawal from that relationship. And now it's going to be hard for you to withdraw from it again. Totally. And I could imagine that circling back to where we started, that, you know, at least I know when I've gotten hard feedback or kind of like felt, you know, like I've disappointed someone, I tend to replay it over and over and over again in my mind. And so I can imagine that, right, that same thing happens for other folks too, that when they feel accused of something, they start to like replay it in their minds and they start to feel really bad about how they showed up and they feel bad about their boss, how their boss feels about them. And so giving people that space, right? We, we're helping them not go into that playing bad movies. So, all right. Well, we are at the end of our time together. So Dre, can you tell us where people can learn more about you and get a copy of your book and keep up with your work? Sure. The place I'm most active on social media is probably my Instagram where I use the stories a lot. So my Instagram is just my name at Dre Baldwin, all one word, but I'm on every social platform. So it's everyone you like, just look my name up and you will find me. As far as the book, Work On Your Game, we're talking about here, you can get that at workonyourgamebook.com. Other place you can find me is at workonyourgameuniversity.com. After you read the book, next place to take the next step with us, our courses, coaching, all of that is all in one place, workonyourgameuniversity.com. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for sharing some some of these learnings that you've had around these mental mistakes and what we can do differently to make ourselves more productive and make our team members more effective. Of course. Thank you for the opportunity. The special guest bonus for this week is a copy of Dre's book, Work on Your Game. We're giving away one copy to a patron-level member of The Modern Manager. In addition, all listeners of The Modern Manager should check out the show notes for all of Dre's free giveaways. Or if you're subscribed to my newsletter, all the links will be in your inbox, along with the mini sketch note that has one of my key takeaways from today's interview in a fun visual format. To get on my email list, go to themodernmanager.com. And while you're there, check out the benefits of membership that start at just $5 per month and include extended interviews with guests, sketch notes that have my full set of key takeaways from each episode, and so much more. Meetings are one of the most critical components of healthy collaboration and teams are at the heart of how we work. Meteor helps you use your time in meetings productively, build healthy relationships with your colleagues, and move work forward. To learn how we do it, visit meteor.com. That's M-E-E-T-E-O-R.com. You've been listening to The Modern Manager. You're already becoming a rockstar boss of a thriving team, I can tell. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player and join the mailing list at mamieks.com slash podcast. That's M-A-M-I-E-K-S dot com slash podcast to get show notes and other special content delivered directly to your inbox. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.